Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you got your Bibles open there? Years ago, probably a century or more ago, a famous organist was delivering a recital, and back then, organs were pumped by hand. They had somebody who would pump the air through the organ, and they hired this young little lad to do the job. And about halfway through the organ recital, the the lad stuck his head from around the organ so just the organist could see him, and he said, we're doing a pretty good job, aren't we? And the organist said, "Uh, what do you mean, we? And he kept on playing. A few minutes later, everything went silent. He's pulling out all the stops, but nothing's happening, right? No sound is coming out. And he looks down there again. Little lad looks around the corner. He says, that's what I mean by we. (laughs) This morning, I want to talk about our unity in the midst of our diversity. And specifically, I want to talk about how our differences can actually contribute to greater unity for us. Last week, we talked about God's strategy for maturity. And we said that, hey, listen, if we'll all be devoted to the same strategy of maturity, then we will find unity in greater measure. We talked about how in this strategy that God has, if you remember, he gifts all of us. He, he gives all of us these special abilities, he says. And he says, then he gives people to equip us in those things. And then he deploys us to use those things so that at the end of the day, the body of Christ will be mature. We'll be grown up. We'll be, we'll be changed into the full measure of Christ's character. We will be a mature uh, church. But what about those gifts? You know, what, what, what do we know about those gifts? What should we know about those gifts? Well, I told you last week, that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments this morning. And we're going to use this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes the church at Corinth. And in this chapter, he really loads a lot of truth in these verses that we have before us and and things that I think are helpful for us to understand and to note. As I mentioned already, I asked Stan to read the text in its entirety so you could hear it as it was written by Paul. And don't forget that up until maybe 500 years ago, and even then, not 500 years ago, I don't know, maybe a couple centuries ago, people didn't have Bibles. It was all oral tradition. They listened to the Word of God. That's why Paul would say to Timothy, don't forget to read the Scriptures out loud. People didn't have Bibles, and that's how they could hear, and that's how they could hear the Scripture. So I thought it was good for us to to hear it in its entirety. But I hope what I hope to do now for the next few minutes is just sort of break down the text. And I think really Paul um, gives us, as best I can discern anyway, maybe seven realities about gifts. Maybe we could break them down into eight or nine or break them down different ways. I'm going to break them down into seven, seven specific truths or realities that you and I can understand about these gifts that God has given us. So let's dive into the text. And the first one, right off the bat, the first thing that I want you to see is that God wants us to understand the purpose of gifts. He wants us to understand their practice and, and why he gave them and, and, and how it is that we are to use them or why we are to use them. And so Paul begins this chapter and he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit spirit. 
So Paul starts off and he says, hey, I don't want you guys to be unawares concerning spiritual gifts. Now, the truth is that the text in Paul's letter didn't actually say spiritual gifts. What it actually literally says is now concerning the spiritual. I don't want you, brothers and sisters, to be unaware. What does that adjective define? It it leaves it hanging. We don't know. Some have suggested that it's talking about spiritual people. Now, concerning spiritual people, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. And if you follow, logically, it seems to follow that it could be talking about people because he goes on to say, when you were pagans, you were led astray by idols. But no one can say Uh, that Jesus is cursed and have the Spirit of God. Talking about spiritual people. If you want to know a spiritual person, if a spiritual teacher comes to town and he's telling you that Jesus is cursed, Paul's saying, hey, don't listen to him. So it could be spiritual people, but most everyone, based on the context, is pretty convinced that Paul's talking about spiritual gifts there. Now concerning spiritual gifts. He tells them, hey, when you were pagans, when you, before you began to follow Jesus, you guys listened to pieces of rock and wood that couldn't speak. They didn't have any words. They never said anything. You were led astray by those inanimate objects. It's easy for you to be astray. I don't, led astray. I don't want you to be led astray. How verses three, how verse three fits in there exactly? You know, it could be that people were teaching on spiritual gifts, and some of them who were teaching on spiritual gifts may have been saying Jesus is cursed. Now, who would say that? Some of the Jews might be saying that Jesus is cursed, right? Counteracting, counteracting what Paul was teaching. He says, listen, no one says Jesus is cursed by the Spirit of God. So if anyone says that, don't listen to what anything they have to say about anything, okay? And then he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And again, he's not there saying that we can't mouth the words. He's not talking about that. He's saying that no one can say and mean it and it be sincere from their heart that Jesus is Lord without the work of God's Spirit in their lives. Indeed, all of us who have come to follow Jesus, it's because the Spirit of God has been working in our lives and in the world, pointing us to Jesus, leading us uh, to the Lord Jesus Now, one more thought before I move on. This is not going to be a long point. I simply want you to know that Paul and God want you to understand about this thing he calls spiritual gifts. He wants us to understand some things about it. And uh, notice that Paul says here, you were led astray. That word led astray, it's, it's a military term. It has to do with being led captive. So here's the truth, everyone. You can be led captive by Jesus or you can be led captive by your own thoughts or the thoughts of others. And he's saying, don't be led, don't be led astray. Don't be led captive by, by what other people are saying. Be led captive by, by the Lord Jesus. Now, before I go on to the next part of the text, I really think that this would be a good spot for us to, to define, if you would, uh, spiritual gifts here before we go any further. What exactly are spiritual gifts? Because Paul doesn't he doesn't define it here in the text. He's going to tell us some of the gifts in just a moment, but he doesn't really define what a spiritual gift. So I'm going to go outside the text and just try to define spiritual gifts for us from both the Ephesians passage last week and, and this Corinthian passage this week. Now, the word that's translated spiritual gifts is the Greek word charisma. You may have heard that before. And it simply means, it simply means gifts of grace or spiritual or gifts gifts from God. There is used 17 times in your Bible, uh, 16 times by Paul and one time by Peter. And it's used in, in such a diverse way. Sometimes it's kind of hard to know exactly how to define the word, but, but essentially it, it, 
you know, in most of the occasion, it has to do with God giving us something. So in the book of Romans, Paul uses the word to refer to the gift of salvation in chapter 5. Actually, in chapter 6 as well. He talks about the blessings of God as the charisma of God in chapter 1 and chapter 11. He defines it as divine enablements for ministry in chapter 12, uh, verse 6. And every other use that Paul has of this word and Peter, it's always talking about the enablements of the Holy Spirit to help us do ministry, to help us serve one another, to help us serve the body of Christ. So here's a definition for us. It's going to be the working definition for this morning. But spiritual gifts are abilities that God gives us, which are included in that is the idea that God is empowering us to use those gifts to minister, to serve others. Now, John MacArthur, and many of you know him, and he's a, a real... I don't want to use the word famous, but he's been a man used of God greatly from California and and the grace to you ministries. But he believes that spiritual gifts are not the same as talents, that there's something different. I'm not sure I I, I agree necessarily with that. In other words, I I think that your talents, so often as we go through the Bible and we, we read about spiritual gifts, some of them are not talents, but some of them seem to be also things, talents that you could have been born with or you could have. So maybe spiritual gifts are God taking our talents and and refining them, redirecting them towards, towards ministry. I'm not sure that there's a huge distinction between our natural talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. God can take those talents and, and he can use them spiritually in our lives. I don't think our gifts have to be necessarily different than those things. Spiritual gifts are those special capacities and abilities that we have to serve one another inside the church family and even outside the church family. God wants you to understand spiritual gifts. Here's the second thing, the second truth. There are a variety of gifts and abilities and ministries that God gives us, but there is only one God, there is only one Spirit who is giving them. Now, this sounds obvious, doesn't it? Why would I even have to say this? But Paul says it. He says there's all kinds of gifts that the Spirit gives. But here, don't forget this, because diversity can lead to disunity. He says, don't forget this. Even though we're diverse in our giftedness, he says, there's only one God giving them all these gifts. There's only one Holy Spirit who's giving and enabling us to use those gifts. Verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God, producing each gift in each person. So in order to stave off that division, Paul says, don't forget, lots of diversity in his gifting to us, but there's only one source of those gifts, the one true creator God. He's giving them to all of us. Number three, God makes the choices of the gifts that he wishes to give to his people for the good of us all. In other words, God is the one who chooses what gifts that he wants to give to people, and he does it for the purpose of benefiting all of us, okay? So not only is there one God, and not only is he giving us a variety of gifts, he gets to choose who gets what gifts, and for what purposes he wants to give people those particular gifts. So in verse 7, it says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. 
To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Here Paul mentions, hey, there's a variety of gifts, but again, uh, it is God giving those gifts. And he mentions gifts, what he calls from wisdom to healing, to performing miracles, to speaking in, in tongues. Now here's one thing I want you to know. This is not an exhaustive list of all the gifts. And the reason I know that is because there are four different places in the New Testament where we have lists of gifts. And we have different gifts in those different lists. Now, some of them are overlapping, but some of them are found just in this list, and some are found just in this list. And so, Paul is not trying to give us an exhaustive list of gifts here. Um, can there be spiritual gifts not mentioned in the Bible? That's a question for you. Can there be gifts not mentioned in the Bible? I, I tend to think so because my personal thought is that, that God is not trying to give us a catalog of all the gifts. Even if you pull all four lists together, I don't think God's trying to give us a catalog of all the gifts. So I think there can be gifts uh, outside, uh, outside of, the, of what was revealed in those four lists. For example, um, and I think y'all have heard this story before, but there was a, a family that was a part of our church years ago, and uh, they were the Atkins, and Sherry had this uncanny ability to go to a yard sale and find whatever she wanted. And I remember one time we were doing a Christmas play, so you might remember this, and we wanted a mirror ball so that we could shine lights on it so it'd make stars on the ceiling, right? And she said, I'm going out yard sailing to find a mirror ball. I remember laughing to myself and saying, you can find a lot, but you're not finding a mirror ball. But doggone it, if she didn't come back with a mirror ball, and I was determined after that, there must be the spiritual gift of yard sailing. So, <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. You know, I don't think there's a gift of yard sailing. But, but can there, could, could singing, could God give someone the gift of voice to be able to sing spiritually? in a special way, you know, I don't, I don't see why not. Could, could there not be other gifts not mentioned? I think there can be. Now, it says that there's a bunch of different gifts, but it also says that there's a variety of ways of using those gifts. So, for instance, you can have the gift, well, actually the gift of evangelism is really called the gift of evangelist, as we talked about last week, one of the trainers of God's people, right? But uh, you have the gift of evangelism, and maybe you're really good at standing in front of a crowd and sharing the gospel and many people responding to that. Anybody know such a person like that? What's his name? Uh, Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. Billy Graham would stand up in front of thousands and people would, would respond to the gospel as Billy Graham preached. But then somebody might have the gift of evangelism and they're really good one-on-one -on -one sharing the gospel in a way that just opens people up to the truth. Anybody know somebody like that? They actually live in our congregation, right? I'm talking about, I won't mention his name. He might not want me to do that. But anyway, so we all know people like that. A teacher might have the gift of teaching, and he might teach at a church or a Bible college, or maybe he teaches in the garage ministry, right? Uh, a teacher might teach children. A teacher might teach youth, might teach adults. There are many different gifts, the Bible says, and many different places and in, in ministries in which we can use those gifts, and many different ways in which we might use those gifts. 
Now, I know some of you might be disappointed this morning that I'm not going to go through that list of gifts and try to tell you what all of those gifts are. I mean, there's lots of stuff out there that can try to identify what that list of gifts were that so often seem out of, out of the ordinary and norm for us today, right? But you can go through there and, uh, and you can find plenty of help on what the different gifts are that are listed in those four lists. And you can find uh, a lot of help on identifying your gift. In fact, one of the things I'm going to hopefully challenge you to at the end of this talk is to do something about what we're talking about here. And that might include, hey, you know, do I, what is the gift that God has given me? Am I using my gift for the body of Christ? So anyway, there's lots of stuff out there. I'm not not going to try to identify the meaning of all those gifts that we just read. Number four, together with our gifts and abilities, we function like a human body does. That's what Paul says. He uses the human body as a metaphor. So in verse 12, he says, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So God calls us the body of Jesus think about it, everyone. Jesus has returned to heaven. Corporally, he is no longer here. He has left us his spirit, but Jesus has a resurrected body like ours, but it is not here. He is not here. He is, has returned to heaven. And you know, I'm sure there's somewhat of a metaphor, but he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, the scripture says. He's left us his spirit who dwells within all of us. But the Bible says now we are the corporal body of Jesus. As his spirit lives within us, we are the physical, visible representation we're supposed to be anyway of the Lord Jesus here on earth. And by the way, this is why it is so important that you live like Jesus and love like Jesus. Jesus and be like Jesus because what's that old adage? You you might be the only Jesus people see because you are what Jesus, I mean, people see. You are the body of Christ. We are the physical, uh, the physical representation of Jesus. And, um, and Paul says here in this, in this metaphor, he says, just like our body is one body but with many parts, so the body of Jesus is one, but we are many parts. Now, He talks about this unity here, and to make sure that we don't miss the unity, he says, we're one body. We were all baptized into one body. We were all immersed into one body of Jesus. That's what the word baptized means there. It's a transliteration of of the Greek word translated means immersed. We were all immersed by the Holy Spirit into one body. And then he goes on to define that, and he says, I mean Jews and Gentiles. There was not a greater ethical divide or excuse me, ethnic divide, not ethical, ethnic divide in in the world at that time than the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, we are one body. And what I mean by that is we're one whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. And then he says, and I mean, we're one whether you're a slave or whether you're free. There was no greater cultural divide than that of the slave man and the free man. Although most of the world was slaves, there was a huge divide between being free and being a slave. And he says, hey, it doesn't matter which of those camps you're in. We are one in the Lord Jesus. We are one body together. You know, I've thought about this, and if, if, if the Lord Jesus were, or if Paul were writing to us today, and he's writing in our context, he might say something like this. We were all baptized into one body, whether blacks or whites. 
He might say, we were all baptized into one body, whether we were Republicans or Democrats, whether we're millionaires or the working poor. We've all, if we're, if we're a follower of Christ, we've all been baptized into one body. We are one nation, the nation of God. We are his people, one church, one body. But we are made up of a lot of different parts, just like Just like our body is made up of lots of parts, but we are one whole. Number five, a body consists of many different parts, and no one part can say that I am all that the body needs in the same way no person or or no gifted person is all the church needs, all right? Uh, It's possible, I think, for Christians to look around, uh, arrogant Christians, and say, uh, you know, I got everything I need. I don't need you. In fact, a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus, they live like that, even though they wouldn't make that claim. They, 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 they live like all they need is themselves, right? And that is not true. By the same token, some Christians look around and they say, well, I don't have that gift, or I can't do that, or I'm not like that. So they think, well, I must not be needed in the family of God. Paul says, both of these views are wrong. Verse 14, indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Just because you don't have this gift or that gift doesn't mean that you are not a part of the body, and it doesn't mean that you are not needed in the body, whatever your gifts are. As obvious as it is, the foot can't say, just because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Yeah, you are foot. You might not be a hand, but you're still part of the body, and that's true everywhere. You know, just because you're not an elder or you're not a Sunday school teacher, or you're not a musician, or not a ministry leader, or one of those gifts that maybe are more up front that people see, uh, doesn't mean that you're not an integral part of the body of Christ. And your giftedness, it doesn't mean that your giftedness is not needed. If the church, if in the church we all sang, who would teach? If we all taught, then who would take care of the buildings? If we all took care of the buildings and cleaned, then who would be taking care of us when we're sick or we we need the help of some individual person? You see, if we're all doing the same ministry, then a bunch of us are not needed. But we're not supposed to be all doing the same ministry. We're all supposed to be doing different things and together we make up the whole. If we were all the hand, Paul says, how would we ever walk around? If we were all the ear, how how would we ever see anything and et cetera? Verse 18, look at the verse 18. It's a repeat of one of the points I've already made. But as as is, Paul says, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. This is almost like an addendum to what I'm trying to say to you. When you say, I'm not needed or or, I I don't have this gift, so I must not really be an important part of the body of Christ, Paul reminds us that it's God who put us in the body the way he desires and the way he wants yeah, I've never been all that athletic, but I, I tried to uh, coach my kids when they were little, like many of you parents and dads are doing in particular. But, you know, I remember watching the good coaches. And, and the good coaches, they would often put their players in spots, not where their players would necessarily shine the most, but they would put their players in spots where they were most needed to help the team. 
And so some players who really thought they were really good and had all the great gifts, right, they wanted to play a different position, but the coach would say, nope, I need you in this position because he had a bigger picture and he was looking at winning. He wanted to, the team to win as a whole. So he would put that player where he knew that player needed to be. Some of you, God will place as teachers and some will be leaders and some will be organizers, but others of us will be gifted in abilities that are not quite so visible, not so out front, and not so necessarily leading folks. They're going, to be, they're going to be positions of serving and doing small things that the body of Christ needs done. But the principle is that God puts us where he wants us. Now sometimes, can I say this? Sometimes, listen carefully, God wants to put you in a place that's different than you are. In fact, maybe, maybe you don't have a position, uh, a gift, a, a ministry that's out in front of people. But you don't want it. Maybe God wants it. Maybe that's where God wants you, but you're not willing to do that because you're too embarrassed or you think I'm not capable of doing that. Remember, that was Moses, right? Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt and I need you to set my people free. And you remember, of course, what Moses kept saying, I can't do it, I can't do it, excuse after excuse after excuse. And, and God said to him, finally, baloney, I've gifted you, I'm going to be with you, now you go and do what I've said. So sometimes, I mean, it's on both of these ends, right? Sometimes God wants to use us in a place that's more visible. We're not willing because we're too embarrassed, too shy, too whatever. Sometimes we want to have this upfront position, but God wants to put us in a position that maybe isn't quite so upfront. Whatever spot the coach, that is the Lord Jesus, wants for you, that's the spot you should want to serve him in, and you should trust him in that. Now, I don't think that, that means that we can't appeal. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that means we can't appeal to the Lord to change our position or, or whatever, but... Uh, but don't look at any position as beneath you. Any, any ministry position is beneath you. You know, um, I've heard this before, everyone. I've heard this before uh, from teachers. My gifts are, and, and it wasn't exactly coined like this. It was definitely much more humble. But it's the same thought. My gifts are too valuable to work in the children's department. I need to be teaching in the adult department. You know. So, everybody, listen. Let God speak to you. Let God use you. And you go and do what God's calling you to do, whatever, wherever it is. Number six, every one of us is important to the body of Jesus. We are all needed. Look at verse 19. If they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts don't, do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body. Now, in this analogy of the body, Paul says, none of us can say, we don't need you, I don't need you. I shouldn't say we don't need you. We more likely say, I don't need you, right? But I don't need you. I, we, we can't say that, he says, because all of us need each other, if we can understand this. All of us need each other. We need our gifts. We need your gifts. We need all of us to function together as a body. 
Former Chicago Bull uh, forward Stacy King was once asked when he was playing with Jordan, Jordan scored 69 points and he scored one. And so after the game, I guess they were seeking to embarrass him, and, and they asked him to analyze the game, and this was his comment, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> Actually, I think Stacy's right on target. He's right on target. Sometimes God's going to gift you to score 69 points, and he's going to give someone else to score one point, but it's together the total that wins the game. So that's kind of how it's supposed to be with us in the body of Christ. Whatever our giftingness is, whatever our gifts and abilities are, we, we work together and we use our gifts so that, so that we win, if you would, with, with the will of God and God's desire for his church. And it takes all of us. Paul is very, very clear that this is not something that we do alone. Every member is supposed to be serving and, and doing their part. And we all need each other. Now, I've told this story before, but let me tell it again. I'm going to ask a question at the end of it. It's a great story. It happened in 1926. In January of 1926, a young boy by the name of Richard Stanley came down with the symptoms of diphtheria. And this was in Nome, Alaska. And, uh, and of course, there was going to be an, ep- uh, an outbreak, an epidemic of diphtheria. And uh, so Dr. Curtis Welch, who was uh, the new doctor there, there had been this new uh, vaccine developed for diphtheria, and he began to vaccinate the children. And, uh, but he ran out of vaccine. And you probably all remember the story, but uh, they uh, wired uh, Nanana, Alaska, 1,000 miles away in 50 below degree weather, and they needed, they needed the vaccine. And so what happened, if you remember, was, if you remember the story, if you know the story, what happened was these, these men, these trappers, and they, would, they started from Nanana, Alaska, and from Nome, Alaska, they, they started towards each other. These guys carrying the serum and uh, the vaccine, these guys going to get it. They met halfway at the 500-mile mark, and they would, they would go from station to station, and the next group of guys would take over with new dogs, and, and that was, that's what we call the Iditarod race today, right? That was the Iditarod race. And of course, they brought the vaccine back and uh, they stopped the epidemic. They were able to vaccinate all the children and they stopped the epidemic and they say they saved lots of lives because of that. So here's my question based on that story. Who's the most important person in saving lives there? Is it the, is it the scientist who developed the vaccine? Well, I mean, without his vaccine, there would have been nothing for the children at all. So is he the most important? Or maybe it was Dr. Welch who had the foresight to get the vaccine and then to vaccinate the kids and to see what was going on and then to send for the vaccine. Is he the most important? I mean, if he hadn't done that, then even if they'd had the vaccine, nobody would have administered it. So is he the most important? Well, if, if, if he had done all that and the guy had invented it, but there was nobody to go and get it, then it still wouldn't have been administered to the kids. So who's the most important? And obviously it's a rhetorical question. You know the answer. There's no one person that's more important than another. It takes all of those people to make that happen. And that is an illustration, I think, of what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us in this text right here. It takes all of us to make it happen. It takes all of us to exercise our gifts and abilities and to use them in the context of ministry so that the body of Christ might be built up, but so that we might be the church that God desires us to be, to be the effective church that God desires us to be. 
But we all know the statistics, don't we? You know the statistics? What percentage of the church does the, what percentage of the ministry? They've been saying this forever. They say 20% of the church family does 80% of the ministry. So if you're following and you're tracking with me, it's not supposed to be that way. It's so supposed to be that eight, 100% of us who are the body of Christ do 100% of the ministry, right? I mean, isn't that what Paul is saying in, in this text? I mean, it's pretty clear to me that all of us do the ministry. That doesn't mean that we all have the same part in the ministry. I'm not saying that. He's really clear on that too. We're diverse. We have different gifts and abilities. So we're not going to all be doing the same ministry, but it is all of us doing the ministry together. That's how it's supposed to be. Here's, a, here's a, another, you know, over the years, I, I've discovered I use the same illustrations. I'm sorry. I just, I don't, y'all need to hire somebody to just do research all the time, right? You know? But anyway, so here's, a, here's an illustration. It's so wonderful. But, you know, we're coming up on the season where the geese will be coming back into, into Surrey County. And if you've watched them, you know, they fly in the V formation. The V formation is, a, there's a reason for it. Scientists say that the V formation that the geese fly in, what it does is the geese, in, the goose in front of the, the next goose, his, when he flaps his wing, he creates an updraft that makes it easier for the goose behind him. And so they're flying in that V formation so that they can catch the wind of the goose in front of them. And, and scientists say that flying in V formation, that a pack of, not a pack of geese, would you, a gaggle of geese maybe, is that right? A, a what? Flock. Okay, sorry. A flock of geese. People really, Jamie really knows his geese, right? Did you notice that? Anyway, so this flock of geese, this flock of geese, they're, uh, they can fly, listen to this, this is what scientists say, 71% further together than they can fly by themselves. That's quite a, that's quite a feat, right? But if, you, if, you're, if you're tracking with this illustration, that, that goose out in front He's the one that's carrying all the weight, right? So do you know what they do? He flies till he can't fly that point guard anymore, and then he falls back to the back, and another goose goes up to the front. You ever heard the geese honking at each other? They say that the only geese that honk are the guys in the back. And they don't know why they're honking, but they surmise they're honking to tell the dude up in front, we're all here, man, keep getting it, keep getting it, right? And so they're, so they're telling that goose up in front, all's good, keep on getting it. Or maybe they're just offering their encouraging to the, encouragement to the front goose, right? You got this, man, you got this. Maybe it's just an encouraging thing. You know, the, the point's pretty obviously, obvious, isn't it? Man, what if we functioned like that? What if we were rotating leads and, and, and taking the lead and just encouraging one another in ministry? What if we did that? I think that's the point of the text. And you may have noticed that Paul talks about weaker vessels here and more honorable and dishonorable vessels. Most people think he's probably talking about our private parts. And he says we cover up our private parts and we make them more respectable by, by wearing clothes. So, we're, so the parts that, that are not disrespectable, you know, our face, our hands, etc., uh, they, don't, they don't need, you know, that, that's good. I, I think that's probably what Paul meant. But here's, here's another way of saying that I think that even is, you know, my heart is not visible. It's, 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 it's as far as it's, it has no outward show right? Has no hour show, but it's, it's my most crucial part or one of my most crucial parts. Can't live without my heart. Live without my fingers, but I can't live without my heart. And so 
I, I think uh, maybe a way for us to apply what he's saying there is that the, the parts of us that maybe we don't see all the time that are hidden behind the scenes, Paul's, I think he's trying to say, man, we should honor those parts because they're some of the most needed parts and we don't, maybe don't even realize it. All right, last one, number seven. All of us should care for each other with an unqualified love. Verse 25. He says, so that there would be no division in the body, but that members would have the same concern for each other. Let me go back and pick up verse 24, just so I'm a little bit more in context. Instead, God has put, to get, put us together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. So that there would be no division, oh, I picked that up already, no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Remember the geese? I mean, geese are cool, but that's not the only cool thing they do in how they fly. If a goose gets hurt... If a goose is flying, strains its wing, whatever, can't fly and has to go down, two geese will always leave the flock and they'll go down with it and they'll stay with it until that goose is either dead or able to fly again. So, wow, isn't that something? Lee Iacocca um, was interviewing Vince Lombardi and uh, he asked Vince Lombardi, you know, who was that winning football coach, how is it that you win all the time? Or what, what makes a winning coach? And this is what Lombardi said. He said, there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals. They have plenty of discipline, but they still don't win games. So they know the fundamentals. They do discipline. He said, but they don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. Here it is. If you're going to play, if you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul's going to get his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his. The difference between mediocrity and greatness, Lombardi said, is the feeling that guys have for each other. In the healthy church, if we're going to be a healthy church, man, we have got to love one another and care for one another. We, we have got to suffer when each other suffers. We've got to take Jesus' commandment seriously to love one another. You know, I have appreciated, if I can say this, I have appreciated the love you've shown Chuck these last few weeks because I think most of us know the perilous place that he is. And so some of you visit him not just once but twice. I think some of you have even visited him three times. I'm grateful for that because, I mean, he's in a perilous place and you are showing that when one suffers, we all suffer and we all need to be a part of caring. Years ago, um, my daughter Katie broke her wrist. I, I read this. This is the only reason I guess I remember this, but um, Katie broke her wrist. It was really, really bad. And I remember at the time, people would always come up to her and show her sympathy and all that kind of stuff. And they would say, they would never say, excuse me, they would never say, you poor, poor wrist. <laughs> Even though it was her wrist that looked like an S, right? Uh, they would never say, you poor, poor wrist. They would always say to Katie, how are you, Katie? And I remember at the time, I, I don't know why I would have noted that, but I noted that they, I guess it had something to do maybe with this text, but I, I noted that no one addresses the hurt, they address the whole person because Katie's a whole person. Now it's a wrist that's, that's damaged, but it's Katie that's suffering because her arm was, was broken. You know, in the same way, everyone, 
when one of us suffers, then all of us are suffering. All of us should be suffering. All of us should be caring. We should be just like everything within Katie went to care for her wrist. Everything within us should go to care for the person who's, who's suffering. You know, uh, I, I was telling um, Russ and Marianne, I wanted to work this illustration in this morning from, from our Sunday school class. I'm going I'm to do it right here. Uh, and again, I think I've shared this before, but you know the sequoia trees that are like 250 feet tall? They have very shallow roots. Did you know that? They only go down like five or six feet. But what happens with sequoia trees is that their root system, though it's very, very, very shallow, and they're the tallest trees. They say some of the trees have been alive for 1,500 years. Those roots intertwine with each other like this. So when the winds blow, and they're 250 feet tall, to blow over a sequoia tree, you have to blow over the whole grove of trees because they're all holding they're all holding each other up. I mean, isn't that a great illustration of how it's supposed to be with us? That our roots are so intertwined with one another that none of us get blown over because all the rest of us are, are supporting the person where the wind is, is the strongest. If geese can do it and football teams can do it, then, then I think uh, we can do it. So that brings me to the end of my talk. So here's my final closing thoughts. Number one... These aren't even numbered. The point of the last four messages has been to encourage us to be united, to strive for it, to fight for it, as I told you last week. The point of this particular message is to say that we are all diverse. We are all so different. And it's not just that we're gifted in different gifts, right? We're, we're different in lots of ways. We're different personality-wise, some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. We're, we're different in what we like and what we dislike. I mean, we, we got differences all over the board, but our dissimilarity doesn't have to divide us, but it can be a source, I believe, of greater, stronger, even more, even a tougher unity if we'll let it. If we'll let it. If we'll take our diversity and apply it to the whole then we'll be an even stronger church. And if there's one application that comes out of today's message, it would be this. Okay, here's my application out of this entire talk. It's this. Use your gifts and abilities. Remember, the strategy for maturity is all of us using our gifts, equipped by, by some, deployed, all of us deployed, so that the church might mature and be all that God wants it to be. So the point of this message is use your gifts, use your abilities, deploy your gifts, your, the stuff that God is, has done in you. Don't be an attender of this church. Don't be an attender, okay? Don't come and plop yourself down every Sunday morning. Be an integral, invested part of us, be involved. Find a place to serve. Be, and, and you don't have to serve within the context of us gathering. You, there's lots of places you can serve out there, all right, in, in the world, in Jesus' name, and as a part of our family, you know, representing our family, leading people to Christ, you know, helping the church family grow by, by using your gifts out there. Give of yourself. Care for each other prioritize the fam, prioritize this. And I, I, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not aiming this at anybody. I promise I'm not. We prioritize hunting. We prioritize sports. We prioritize our entertainment. 
We, we prioritize all kinds of things that we want in life. What I would say to you is prioritize the body of Christ. Prioritize it. Not because it's necessarily fun, not because it's entertaining. Prioritize it because you are part of the body and we need you. And without you, the body suffers. Let's bow our heads. If I'm honest, Father, I know that I've shared big, big, what they say, big overview thoughts from up 30,000 feet. It gets harder when you get more specific and you get down lower and you say, well, what does that look like? Father, I'd pray that every heart of ours, Lord, every heart in our family this morning from, from the 30,000 view would say, yes, Lord, I want to be an integral part. I want to use my gifts. I want to use my abilities. And then, Lord, help us as a church. Help us help one another. Maybe, maybe, Father, our gifts. Maybe you've gifted people in our church to help other people find their gifts and use their gifts. Maybe use their gifts is a better word, Father. But would you help us be a church where 100% of us are prioritizing our church family and letting you use us together to reach the world for Jesus? to change our culture, to change our society, to change our, our community, I should say. Lord, help us, to, help us together to reach the world, Lord, to take the gospel message outside of our community to, to the world at large. Lord, just use us. Use us for your glory, we pray. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.